Our scripture passage today is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 20. Then God spoke all these words. I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your town. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you, so that you do not sin. This is the word of the Lord, for the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So talk about family rules. R rules just sounds like a downer. Doesn't really sound like the exciting way to start a uh, early morning worship service sermon. So if we thought about uh, rules as being something like a, a fence, y'all know I enjoy reading uh, social science research and there's a, a, um, a kind of a variation on an experiment that's been going on for a while and there's an interesting um, new chapter to it. Uh, the original um, Research was done on a city block playground where there, all of the play apparatus, the monkey bars, the uh, swing sets, and all were all in the very center of the city block park. And when they put kids into the park, uh, no fence or anything like that, the kids played in the center of the park, on the swing sets, on the monkey bars, nowhere else. When they went back in the next year and put a fence that was on the boundaries of the uh, city block park, 
they found that the kids would play all over the park. They would uh, not just stay in the middle on the swing sets and the monkey bars, but they would explore all the corners of that park. Uh, The researchers decided that fences, therefore, were not restrictive to play, but rather added a level of security and safety that allowed the kids to explore all the areas that they knew were theirs to play in. So there have been lots of different variations of that experiment over time. The most interesting one lately is that they have added another experimental condition. They added in helicopter parents. No laughter, whoo, okay. I uh, need to say I'm a, I'm a recovering helicopter parent myself. Um, you know, try, try hard not to hover too close, uh, but sometimes it's just really hard. So they did is uh, in between fence and no fence, they found that they put in a line of the parents and uh, encouraged them to be very hovering and close, watching everything. These were the kind of parents that when the kid would go across the monkey bars, they'd go, be careful, Johnny. You know, when they go on the swing sets, now, now, Janie, don't go too high. And when it was all over, hey, another round of Purell, please, come on, right? You never know what's on that place. And what they found that even with a fence around the city block park, that the presence of an overly anxious set of parents made the kids only play in the center of the park. You see, rules are good if they are rules that lead to health and life and living in the place where God's given us, but rules that are overly burdensome or anxiety-producing, rules that are heavy on our shoulders that don't lead toward wellness and health, well, they just make us scared and anxious, and clinging to the center. I I, uh, enjoy movies and uh, find that it's been hard not to uh, try and include uh, cider house rules in our discussion of orphan and adoption. I, I don't think politically speaking that it's appropriate for a whole sermon, but that beginning segment of cider house rules, maybe you remember it's a, uh, a story about an orphanage, uh, a story about one young man who grows up in the orphanage, but the entry, the intro into the movie shows the, the orphanage building, it shows um, families coming and going. It shows some families dropping off kids that they are unable to care for for themselves. And it shows other uh, very young, shiny, happy couples coming in to adopt. And and the, the, the orphans would all line up along the hallways hoping to be picked, but they knew if they were old enough to know what was going on, chances are they were too old to get picked to be adopted. Now, um, nobody really liked to be in the orphanage, not because it wasn't run well or it wasn't clean or it wasn't a great place to be. It was just kind of one of those places where you didn't want to stay very long. And so Dr. Larch, the the, uh, director of the orphanage, tried really hard. He believed that every orphan should be treated like royalty. And so in the evenings, after reading a, a bedtime story to the kids in the big dormitory room, he would say, good night, all of you kings of Maine and all of you princes of New England. That even as an orphan, Dr. Larch believed they should consider themselves royalty. 
And that's really where we are centered today in Lent. Uh, it is where we are uh, trying to make a point that, that even in the journey from being uh, orphaned to being adopted, that if we have that sense of reality, that our Father is the King, that all things are possible. Our scripture passage today uh, comes from the book of Exodus. It's the, the Ten Commandments. It's a pretty uh, easy, common, uh, and approachable piece of scripture. You see, um, God had brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, out of slavery to the Pharaoh, uh, and had brought them through the Red Sea. Uh, if you think about it, every time you hear um, about God talking about his relationship with the Israelites, it, that's what's talked about. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God that brought you up out of Egypt through the desert into the promised land. Well, this is that in the desert moment. But moment ended up being about 40 years. Uh, they wandered in the desert. Uh, spent, supposedly, scholars say about a year around Mount Sinai. And around Mount Sinai, um, uh, Moses would go up into the mountains uh, for a day or so and would uh, commune with God and would be in prayer. And, and one day he comes back down with uh, the Ten Commandments, not 15, right? No Mel Brooks here, right? Um, comes down with Ten Commandments uh, and begins to explain them to the Israelites. Now, um, scholars would tell us that the uh, covenant uh, that the Ten Commandments represents is a hybrid. There were two kinds of covenants or contracts in the ancient Near Eastern cultures which Israelites were a part of. Uh, there was the, uh, uh, the uh, vassal uh, contract, the parity contract is what they call it, and that was the contract that would be between you and me, between equals, uh, that we would decide how we would treat each other. And then the other kind of contract or covenant was the kind that would be between the king and the subjects. Uh, the phrase is the suzerainty, but I, I'm pretty sure I don't know how to spell that, and it's not going to be on the test. Um, so that was the kind that when the king, who had all the power, would agree to give some of that power or some of those uh, privileges to someone who had no power at all. It's essentially the, what do you get somebody for Christmas who has everything? And when we look at the Ten Commandments, it begins as very much a kingly, uh, suzerainty kind of contract. I, the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of Egypt. Remember, we're always going to put it within the narrative story of what God has done for us. I ask that you do these four things. Have no other gods before me. Make no graven images. Uh, worship no idols, right? Don't take my name in vain. That is all. I am the king and you are the subjects. Here's how you will give me respect. The next six of the commandments are all kind of vassal or parody issues there. How we will treat each other. We will consider each other of good, uh, of, of uh, dignity and sacred worth. Uh, we will not lie, cheat, or steal. We will not cheat on our spouses. We will not covet each other's things. We will take the Sabbath day for rest. This is how we will be in community together. It will mark that we are God's people and it will mark to others that we are the Israelites, the Jews, the people of God. It's a pretty good deal, right? But when you start asking kids or teenagers or even some adults, are rules good? 
No, rules restrict. They keep us from doing things we want to do. I don't know about you, but a community that's marked by not lying, cheating, stealing, cheating on our spouses, or coveting other people's stuff sounds like a really good place to live. Where did we get this idea that rules are a burden to hold, that rules keep us from being free and happy? Um, I remember one colleague, um, his uh, child, uh, pastor colleague, uh, his um, his child said, um, Dad, wh- why are you so straight and narrow? Right? I didn't know straight and narrow was a bad thing, is what he said. Uh, had another uh, colleague uh, say that uh, his children said, Dad, you're so old-fashioned. Why do we have to pray at the table? Why do we have to go to church? Well, who said it was old-fashioned? What if it was the right way? What if it was a good way? What if it was a way that lead, led to life? and increased our enjoyment in the land that God has given us. Why do we tend to think of the Ten Commandments as old-fashioned, straight and narrow, and a bygone era? Now, it's fair to say that there's a cost that comes with being God's people. The cost is uh, being part of this covenant and contract. Uh, We agree to do certain things. One, we agree. um, I I imagine back in the ancient Near Eastern world, they were kind of like us. They worked all the time and didn't know how to have boundaries. Maybe they had a a tablet. Would have been a real uh, um, rock tablet, (laughs) smartphone. Yeah, it was a bad attempt at humor. You know, maybe they had a hard time drawing boundaries and not going to work all the time, right? But to be God's people, you have to work six days and take the seventh as rest. It marked you as an Israelite. It marked you as being part of the Hebrew nation, that uh, people who followed God believed that rest made us better as humans, that human doings needed to be uh, stopped so that we could do human being moments so that then we could be productive again. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, everybody had a picture of their God. Uh, You know, uh, your God's uh, taller, he's got blonde hair, he's, uh, you know, uh, whatever, a great warrior, has lots of arms, who knows, right? You could uh, make a beautiful statue and lay it with gold and then tourists would come from all around to see it. One of the prices you paid if you were uh, part of the covenant with God in the Hebrew nation was that there were no graven images. That we recognize that we saw God best in the sunrise and the sunset. We saw God best in the face of our neighbor. That we see God best in the actions of kindness, compassion, and courage that we see in our community. There's a cost to being in the family. Uh, There's a cost to being a part of the covenant. When we think about uh, the idea of family rules, it's one thing to beg on the street for all that you have. It's another thing to be adopted. I I wonder what it would be like uh, uh, for Annie, little orphan Annie, the day after the movie ends. Are there chores that she needs to do? Or take the prodigal son. The prodigal son comes back, they kill the fatted calf, uh, they, they celebrate what once was lost, now is found. My son who is dead, now is alive. Woohoo! Next morning, what happens? I wonder if there's an argument in the prodigal son's household. I wonder if dad goes uh, upstairs and starts waking up the boys. And maybe the older boy says, hey dad, uh, no, no fatted calf for me. I think I'll take the day off. Ooh, that's a fight starting. 
Or, or, or what if the, the younger prodigal son said, hey dad, how about another fatted calf, <laughs> right? Another party, remember? Once was lost, now is found, was dead, now alive. Eventually, doesn't the dad say, hey, this is a farm. This is a, a place of work. There are things that we should do. There are chores that should be done. The cows need to be milked. The, hog, uh, the pigs need to be slaughtered. Well, probably not pigs because they were Jewish, but you get the idea. What is it like? What is it like to be the prodigal son the day after the celebration? Every family has rules. Every family has expectations. I remember vividly my dad saying, my house, my rules, you get your own house, you have your own rules. If we've been adopted by the king, are there expectations for us in the family? I would say those expectations in addition to the Ten Commandments is to uh, pray and to read scripture, uh, to do acts of kindness and acts of justice, to be connected with God and connected with our community. There are the family rules. You want to be part of the family called Christian, you've got to be sure to do the chores that come with it. Not out of a sense of, um, this will get me into heaven, but out of a sense of great gratitude for the gift of grace and forgiveness that God has given us. You see, to think of rules as fences that keep us out is to miss the point that sometimes fences are not fences, but yet they are guardrails to keep us safe. I remember, my apologies, Amy. I remember one time uh, I was driving with Amy up into the mountains of North Carolina. I, we were young and engaged, and I had not learned all of the likes and dislikes of my bride-to-be. And as we drove up into the Appalachian Mountains, I was looking forward to taking her on the, uh, the Blue Mountain Parkway, the um, Blue Ridge. I messed it up in the early service, too. I wanted to call it the Blue Water Highway, which is not... Um, so, and if you've ever been on the Blue Ridge Highway, it is a small two-lane road um, that you get on and you go slow, like 30, 35 miles an hour, right? It is not a fast drive. And the exits to get on and off it are like 20 miles apart. So I tell her, close your eyes and I'll tell you when to open them. Because I'm thinking, we're going to get up on the highway and I'm going to say, look, and she's going to go, oh, and it's going to be a beautiful romantic moment. So we turn on the highway and we get around the corner and there's this beautiful, majestic view. And I say, now, open your eyes. And she doesn't go, oh, she goes, ah. I learned that day that my bride-to-be did not like heights. It's a hard 20 miles to that next exit. It's fair to say that Amy loved the idea of fences as guardrails that keep us safe. Why is it that we've decided that rules that someone places upon us are restrictive as opposed to being the fences that guard us from danger over the edge? Fences and playgrounds, fences and guardrails, fences and grace. I do believe that the commandments are important. They are law, they are not suggestion, right? God would have called them the 10 suggestions if they were suggested. 
but I also know that uh, God has grace enough for us. There's a wonderful story. Uh, William Barclay actually starts telling it uh, in his biblical commentary, but it has gone through many different changes over the course of time. It's a story of a band of brothers who are uh, fighting together in World War II in um, uh, rural France. And as they are moving with their unit, they get cut off, and then one of their company gets killed. And here they have uh, the, uh, the body of their uh, slain comrade. And now, they hadn't known each other for very long, but the kind of life that you live when you're a band of brothers is deep. And they had come to love each other, even though they only knew where each other lived in America, did not necessarily know what faith they practiced or uh, much about their families. But they knew uh, that fighting in this war, they fought for the good, but they also fought for the one next to them. And uh, as they carried the body of their friend, they looked and they saw a steeple off in the distance and they went to the steeple and found a cemetery around the church and they knocked on the vestry door and asked for the priest to come out and they said, will you please bury our friend? Give this war hero a dignified uh, burial. And the priest said, well, do you know if he was baptized in our faith tradition? And the friend says, we don't know. Well, at least did he uh, confess Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior? Uh, that, that would be helpful inside the cemetery. It'd be nice to know that we're, that we're burying Christians. And they said, well, uh, Father, uh, there are no atheists in foxholes, but we have to be honest, we never talked about exactly whether it was day, date, and time that he gave his life to Jesus. And the priest said, I will take care of him. What I'll do is go outside the fence of the cemetery and give him a proper burial there outside the gate. And so the men gathered, they helped dig um, the grave, uh, they lowered the casket down, they were there for the prayers. It would take a while for the stone carver to place the headstone, and so they moved on to find their unit and to continue the war. 30 years later, the men decide to get back together. They reunite there at that church in rural France. And uh, they go over to the cemetery thinking that they would find the headstone of their friend and uh, pay their respects to him. And as they begin looking, they look all outside the fence. There are no headstones outside the fence. They knock on the door and they find that the priest had retired in the village. And so they, they go to the uh, priest's house and say, do you remember us? And he says, yes, I do. Where did you bury our friend? Did you not put a headstone on the grave that we dug together? And the priest said, young men, I was kept up many a night for months on end as I thought about the choice that I had made of burying your friend outside the gate of the cemetery. And every year I wondered whether I'd done the right thing until over the course of 30 years, so many of the saints had died in our community that we had to expand the gates and the fence of the cemetery. And when we expanded the cemetery, your friend was brought inside the gates. So here, let me walk and show you where the headstone is. And they found their friend and paid their respects. You see, I believe that fences are important, whether they are to create security for us to be who God's intended us to be, or whether they are guardrails to protect us from danger. But I also believe that the end of the road is not just about our behavior, 
but about the gracious love and forgiveness of a God who moves the fence so that in the end, those who love and follow God are part of the family. Friends, I don't know where you are on your journey from uh, orphanhood to adoption. And some of you have pushed back and said, I've never been orphaned in my whole life. I have extended family. They are wonderful and take good care of me. But have you ever had that moment when you feel like it all depends upon you? That's a moment of feeling orphaned. Because see, in our world, we live in God's house. and It doesn't depend upon us alone, but on the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, on the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, on the uh, care of our brothers and sisters in faith, as together we live out the house rules of a God who has adopted us and loves us and welcomes us home. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, Chapelwood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others uh, take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. Uh, And not to scatter steps everywhere, uh, but to line those steps up uh, to meet our three-year vision of raising a generation in faith uh, and to uh, meet our 12-month goal of uh, strengthening ourselves as adults uh, in the practices of vital faith which means having a clear sense of calling, being fluent in the faith, especially in the hope that we find in Christ Jesus our Lord, Uh, also being uh, a group that spots God active in the world, in our lives, and being a high expectation community uh, that when folk go missing, we go looking for them and care for them and bring them back. Um, I hope that you are moving in your next steps. Uh, There are wonderful opportunities. Uh, One is uh, the March 22nd uh, parents group that's gonna be studying Almost Christian and looking at those four basic uh, habits of vile faith. Uh, There's also opportunities as a family, as a church family, uh, that as you're practicing your Lenten discipline, um, uh, whatever you are sacrificing, Uh, The money that you save from that, I hope that you'll put it uh, in a Zoe box uh, or write a check and bring it to the church. On March 22nd, we'll be dedicating our gifts uh, to Zoe Ministry. Uh, It is a group that works with orphans that over the course of three years moves them from uh, panhandling on the side of the street to being small business owners in their African village. Uh, And so I uh, I hope that uh, in your um, uh, work of Lent in preparation for Easter, uh, that we might keep prayerfully in our mind uh, those uh, orphans that are being uh, uh, changed lives uh, through Zoe Ministries. Uh, if today is a day to join this congregation, we'd love to have you. Uh, come on down during the closing song. Uh, we'd love to plan for the time of uh, baptism and membership um, and to talk about those particularities. But for now, let's join together and trust and obey. Um, it's on page 467. In fact, it's not on the screen. It's only on page 467. So find a hymnal as we sing together. I want to make sure that you see Joycelyn Grigson. She's over here representing the Stephen Ministry. Um, if you would like someone to pray with you right now, uh, she's happy to do that. Uh, or if you'd like to arrange care for yourself or someone else, uh, Joycelyn's here uh, representing that group. There's also the prayer chapel is in the back there behind that brown door. Uh, feel free to have a, a quiet time there if you'd like to. Why don't we um, join together, uh, hold a hand next to you. You don't have to hold everybody's hand, but hold somebody's hand. And let's pray. Almighty God, we give thanks 
that what we once thought were fences to keep us out, we've learned our guardrails to keep us safe. And in the most difficult moments, we have found your love to be a love that moves the fence line to include us who love you so that we might be family. Send us out into the world to love others in the same way that you've loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.